Hi, my name's Ari Stein, and this is the 52 Insights Podcast. Standing on the shoulders of giants, many would say. Christian Angermeyer and Florian Brand, two trailblazing German entrepreneurs intent on transforming the landscape for mental health sufferers worldwide. Both owing an enormous debt to history's psychedelic pioneers and white coats. Rick Doblin, Roland Griffiths, David Nutt, and so many more. Figureheads that showed us the possibilities of a transcendental future. Some might call Florian and Christian's company, Atai, the most important life sciences company on earth right now. Having just entered Wall Street IPOing earlier this year, they count philosopher Sam Harris, artist Diplo, and One Direction's Liam Payne, and investor giant Peter Thiel as backers for this juggernaut. With 10 drugs in development on the road to approval, we wait with bated breath as a slew of solutions are hopefully rolled out, treating the millions of fatigued minds across the earth. From Ibogaine for addiction to DMT and ketamine for depression, all possibilities which show enormous potential. We know this type of help is now needed more than ever. Mental health affects one in four people globally at any given time in their lives. I suspect the figure enormously higher when we include variables such as loneliness and identity construct. But the real challenge here remains, how do we dispense with the myths and stigmas that have clung to psychedelics and mental health for so long? We all suffer in this life, it's unavoidable. And it's about time we had some life support to assist us. For me, I feel incredibly involved with this space. I've followed it for so many years. Check out my written interviews with David Nutt and Michael Pollan for more in-depth coverage of this space. I love this discussion with Christian and Florian. It's so heartening to hear how transparent they were about their experiences and how these compounds helped change their lives and made them aware that the same compounds could alleviate so many from their suffering. In this chat, we argued the spiritual foundations of psychedelics, the outdated nature of capitalism, and what role psychedelics could play in helping deliver a new system. And finally, and most importantly, when can we expect these medicinal compounds to appear over the counter? I hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as I did. Uh, Welcome, Christian and Florian, to the 52 Insights podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So um, it's really exciting for you both to be here. Um, I guess the best place to start would be uh, where I came from in the psychedelic space. Uh, Full disclosure, I've actually never taken psychedelics, but I've followed closely. (laughs) You're probably wondering why. That's the point point where we stopped the podcast. But I followed this scene with immense excitement. And um, as I'm sure both of you have, that's why you're in the space. And and I come at this space with two minds, um, one with a healthy dose of scepticism, but also a healthy dose of of anticipation and excitement. I feel like, you know, right now there is a heavy burden on the human species. I'm sure we all feel it in one way or another. And I feel like we also need to lighten the load, you know, whichever way we can. So so my background is I come from more a self-inquiry style background. Uh, Like Florian, I know, had a mental health crisis. I um, experienced one many, many years ago. And at that point, I felt like there was a a fork in the road and you can make a decision about how you want to kind of um, help yourself from that point. So I decided to go to the meditation route. 
um, and not the psychedelics route. Um, I didn't even really know about psychedelics at that time. This is about 11 years ago. And so it's clear to me how much latitude this this space, uh, the psychedelic space is able to provide us. But meditation for me was really the best decision I ever made. And I've been regularly meditating for 11 years. What I know of the psychedelics uh, um, effect is that, you know, after speaking to people like David Nutt and Michael Pollan and, um, you know, many luminaries and pioneers over the years is that it mirrors the cognitive changes of um, serious meditators, Mm -hmm. but in a much shorter explosive time frame. And the way that I see it, guys, is if this hypothesis is laid out correctly, it has some unbelievably groundbreaking implications. The way I see it, we're on the precipice of of an enormous shift in society. I'm not sure we know what it is. I'll have to be honest. I don't think we we can put a label on it or describe it. Uh, But I think we're in the middle of this hurricane. And I think like you two are going to be serving the starters, so to speak. So you're you're both part of this incredibly exciting company which just IPO'd successfully, so a huge congratulations, called Atai. And, uh, you know, as I understand, this is also the first time that both of you are speaking uh, together on record, as far as I understand. So what I thought would be best right now would be to get um, a a kind of background uh, from both of you about, um, you know, how you kind of came to this space. So, Christian, maybe we could start with you. Um, I know that you're somewhat of a cultural influencer. Um, you're a trendsetter in the investment scene, and I've followed you for quite a while, and you're such an interesting person as well as a film producer. Um, I'd love you to kind of give us a little bit of a background about, you know, um, who you are as a person and how you came to this space. Okay. Um, so, yeah, thanks again for having us. Actually, you already made so many great points. I wanted to jump right into it. Uh but uh, so, so then a quick intro um, uh, aside of that, my name is Christian Angemeyer. Um, I founded a Pyron investment group, which is sort of my own family office. But in the meantime, we also manage several venture funds. And in total, we have run about uh, $3.5 billion uh, dollar, um, assets under management, which is part of my own capital, uh, part, as I said, third-party money. And we do actually... All the simple, the simplified way we to say is what we do is we do all the stuff which personally excites me, um, or as I always see me jokingly say, whatever is interesting enough to bring up at a date uh, is actually a good investment thesis. Because what I want to do is I want to create the world I personally want to live in in 20, 30 years. And I think so many, as you said, actually, we're living in these sort of transformative time yeah where from my point of view and i see actually the book uh, homo deus meaning viewers don't see or listeners don't see it but like ari has homo deus uh, behind him uh from juval harari which i think is a great book and which i totally underwrite uh which is sort of i think he really really uh, who juval harari pens it out extremely well where the where the world is going so the world is going through this massive shift and i think the world in 30 years from now will be completely different from from where we're now. And this A, opens up a lot of economic opportunities, but additionally, beyond making money uh, by investing and and starting and creating companies, uh, I also want to sort of support exactly those companies who sort of create exactly the world I personally want to live in, from from health-wise to tech to whatever. Um, So so short version is what we do is we, we can order it in three 
um, sort of pillars. We do uh, a lot of biotech where, for example, Atai uh, belongs to. We have um, a very big fintech and crypto um, practice. And then the third vertical is what we call deep tech, which is everything from space tech, AI, robotics, so real technological innovation. Um, and we do both. So our primary sort of day-to-day -day job is to invest in companies, but actually once in a while, always when we really have an original idea, then we also start companies ourselves. Um, and that's high sort of the the lighthouse uh, company we started um, uh, ourselves. Uh, we sort of means myself, but then, yeah, I I think I'm hopefully very self-conscious what I'm good in and what not. And I think I'm a, a very good entrepreneur. And this is also what I, how I started. So my family office is not inherited from a family. Like it's really my own capital I've built up over, over time. I come from a very normal background. Um, by and I started sort of everything started 22 years ago, 33 years ago, uh, with uh, a biotech company I co-started. So, so I think I have certain talents as an entrepreneur. Yeah, um, I always say everything which is macro-related, like having the idea, uh, fundraising, especially also hiring the right people. I'm not a good operator. This is why I usually team up with great operators, and this is how practically right after I had the idea to start up psychedelics platform. I teamed up with Florian, whom I know from a previous company where he was the co-founder, which I had financed, and plus Lars Wilde, uh, plus uh, Srinivas uh, Rao, our chief scientific officer, because obviously every biotech company needs a genius scientist. So this is sort of how we four uh, came uh, together. Yeah, so that's sort of the, the short story. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to get to your experience in, in psychedelics as well, because you've made that quite clear, Christian. Florian, I'd love you to tell me you're a, a co-founder of, of a tie. Um, and, uh, you know, you've really emerged as one of the kind of, you know, pioneers of, of taking this to market. So can you tell us a little bit about your, your background and, and how you've come to this space? Yeah, no, no, I'm, very I'm very happy to. And actually, uh, a very similar mental health journey like the one that you described yourself that you went through. So um, the main motivator for me to join forces with uh, my other three co-founders was really personal experiences. Um, for one, um, similar like you went through uh, yeah, severe mental health issues myself. In my case, a little longer ago than, than 11 years. So it was when I was 14 to 18 years, I start, struggled with a severe um, anxiety disorder suicidal ideation and for me uh, what really helped luckily was psychotherapy so I came across a great therapist that was able to uh, work with me in a very very um, great way trigger emotional release and also similar to what you described helped me to um, incorporate mindfulness techniques so that was basically also kind of my first access to that and then um, going forward while building um, Spring Lane where I got to know Lars I was also um, heavily into like integrating a daily or making sure I'm doing my daily meditation practice. Um, that helped me a lot. Uh, so, so what you said reson resonates a, a lot. Um, and um, then it was, but I guess because I found um, healing in a, in a way in what's available, that wasn't really kind of the trigger point. The trigger really was when I saw um, our, 
our, our good friend and co-founder Lars, um, who um, I was building um, Spring Name with, developed a severe depression and not not be uh, not being as fortunate as I was to find um, help in in psychotherapy, nor in the pharmaceutical options that I back then didn't even explore or need to explore. So SSRIs and so forth. So you only experience the severe side effects. And then ultimately, uh, after kind of the first and second line treatment options were kind of exploited, was basically treatment-resistant depressed. And uh, this kind of his suffering journey or journey of suffering really made me aware of, I guess, the, the inadequate treatment options that are available today. Um, and also really the magnitude of the mental health crisis, um, because I, I wasn't really, I don't know, I, I wasn't really aware of the bigger picture when I was in my kind of journey of, of suffering. So I didn't really kind of occur to me like how big this could is or could be or could develop um, could develop how this could develop to a mental health crisis that we're facing today. Um, so and then it was actually Christian after uh, Lars had to resign that um, then pointed him to the therapeutic potential of psilocybin and you had great people already on the podcast from the science community. So um, basically Christian uh, pointed him to the the, the uh, landmark study out of John Hopkins um, and also Imperial College that really showed large effect size in people suffering from a severe depression and anxiety. And that was then kind of this uh, kind of aha moment. And then Lars was courageous enough to give it a try, have a high dose. And that was pretty much for all of us, I think, the realization um, with Christian. And I think he will allude to that in a second, really coming from a happy place and exploring this more from, from that perspective having seen Lars coming from a not-so-happy place and finding this profound change in mm. symptomatology, but also this very, very kind of um, experience that is so hard to put in words, at least for me, um, that that this was really the motivational force behind um, a tie in a, in a way to to yeah. Yeah, to make this, this company, to make this impact. And I should probably mention that for the people out there listening, that there are many, or not many, but there are quite a few uh, psychedelic-inspired life science companies emerging now. Right, right. And Lars really focused on Compass, which is one, and there was this co-genesis moment like in the days of, of Atai and, and Compass. Um, and I would say we were the earliest, like the, the, the earliest ones, target, like approaching it from a, from a for-profit perspective. Maps is around as you as you for sure know, or also probably our listeners know for decades now, um, really, uh, yeah, working on it very persistently. But like we were really kind of the early ones from a for-profit angle. You've got some pretty uh, pretty incredible investors in the background. Uh, Peter Thiel, everyone knows him, um, you know, from his uh, PayPal and and, uh, and other huge ventures. And also I think recently you announced uh, Liam Payne, of all people, and Diplo, as uh, as uh, supporters, is that, that right? that's all right. Like they're actually like meaning they're beyond Peter Thiel, who's uh, actually one of our first uh, investors, together with Mike Novogratz. So the real the real honor uh, belongs to Mike because he's sort of like I had the idea, but he introduced the founders of Compass Pathways, which was sort of the first uh, a Thai platform company. Uh, to us, so so Mike has a very important role, not just as an investor, but sort of somebody who really um, added a lot to uh, in in the, especially in the early days. So so Mike, Peter, 
and then many other actually very reputable investors like Moore Capital, Catalio, Woodline, um, and many, many more. So only on, on the sort of, let's say, investor, fashion investor side. And indeed, we have a bunch of uh, globally, globally uh, famous celebrities, mainly actually because being a celebrity, by the way, the same like being a sports star is one of the jobs, if you want to say it that way, which are extremely prone or say leaning towards mental health issues because um, one trigger, I mean, we can talk hours actually alone on, which is one of my favorite, negatively favorite topics is that the world we are building. And to come back to what I said at the beginning, I, on the one side, I'm extremely excited about the world we're building. And I want to be a part as an investor and entrepreneur of that sort of transformation we're doing. But at the other, on the other side, I realize that actually exactly that world we're building, which has many, many upsides uh, for a lot of things, but like is very actually bad for our mental health. So it's sort of these, uh, what I would yeah. call it in English, anachronism or whatever. So, so I'm with a tie, I want to actually contribute to balance that and to make ultimately everybody, meaning at the moment we're very focused on defined mental health issues as we know them now. And that's actually already a lot, like depression, anxiety, addiction. But ultimately, I think the use case will be way broader because it will help the entire population. And you said it with meditation that it's sort of also, it's not just a technological transformation we're going through. It's also sort of kind of a spiritual and mental transformation we actually have to go through to be able to adopt new world we're building. Yeah. So but once the backstory, when I always get distracted, like, but where you actually see it already is with, for example, actors and, and singers and sports stars, because one very bad thing, and now think about social media, is external validation is very bad for your brain. Yeah, and what is external validation for a superstar like Liam by his fans, which is obviously very nice, but also is a very addictive thing, is the same for everybody of us when you're on Instagram. These constant likes yeah, uh, you're expecting from other people to get yeah, is actually yeah. one of many, many drivers for this mental health pandemic. Yeah. I actually interviewed Tristan Harris, who I'm sure you know of The Social Dilemma, who laid that out for a lot of people in his wonderful documentary. And also, I don't know if you've seen the Naomi Osaka documentary that just came out on Netflix about the very famous tennis star, where she documents her mental health issues. So I think, you know, you're absolutely right, Christian, this comes at, a, at an opportune time. But I want to get down to business with both of you. There's so many questions I have. We won't get through to all of them. I want to I want to go back a little bit, and I want to go back to a time in the 20th century where psychedelics were ubiquitous. I mean, Sam Harris, you know, very visible. By the way, she as well. Is he? Yeah. Oh, wonderful! Well, he made a great statement, which was, you know, we lost a generation and a half um, of research from psychedelics, as we know. There was a moratorium on uh, researching this for a very long time. Now, what's interesting is that, you know, two pioneers of the area, if we can call them that, who are experimenting, Richard Albert, who went on to become Ram Dass, as you know, and Timothy Leary, um, infamously fired from Harvard uh, for, for, for many kind of brazen antics. But one of them was to go around and say that they wanted to spoil the waters of the US with psychedelics. 
so that everyone could become transformed and enlightened. I mean, today they would call that bioterrorism, but, um, you know, I believe they were onto something. And the idea, in essence, what they were trying to say is to give everyone in the world a quick dip or the leverage to change almost overnight, to transform transcendentally, to give someone that opportunity. Okay, so first, by the way, fun anecdote, because it's so topical what you just said, because I just came back from holiday uh, from actually a country where psychedelics are legal. So I was able to shroom with friends. And one of those, can't say now who, but was a globally uh, famous celebrity who did it for the first time. And during the trip, <laughs> practically like repeatedly, uh, he was repeating like, we have to drop that over the Middle East. <laughs> so, so, so honestly, like it is sort of, um, it is a very natural thought because psychedelics in principle uh, um, um, uh, creates, again, so much positivity. And we can talk about later about the, the medical mechanism of action of the spiritual one as well. But like, so, so it's a very natural thought. However, now comes the two howevers. The one is like from a cultural point of view. And I know that I, I'm not just having friends for that view is that the 60s were actually kind of an exemption. So if you look at the big history of psychedelics, which for at least some of these compounds goes back like thousands of years, they were actually always administered in a very controlled and organized setting, mainly actually by shamans and priests. And I want to point it out before we dig deeper, dig deeper. This is what we want to do with a tie. We want to make these very powerful compounds medically available yeah, as a medical product under medical supervision only. So we not want to make it a consumer product. We don't want to drop it over the Middle East, although I had this thought as well. Yeah, uh, because I can also explain it because I don't think it would work, by the way. Yeah, but what we want to do, practically what the shamans and priests were 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years ago are the psychotherapists in our time. And we want to practically actually bring it back to how they were always used in a sort of, let's call it medically shamanistic controlled setting, because that's the way how these very powerful drugs can actually unfold their full value. And again, the 60s were kind of an exemption. And this is why it went terribly wrong for two reasons. The one is the cultural reasons. You need to take entire society with you. Yeah, we shouldn't fool ourselves that sort of you, Floria, me, and maybe the people who are listening to their podcasts, we are a tiny minority. Yeah, and 99% of the people, if I go to my parents, by the way, with whom I did shroom someone, yeah, but it took me a lot because for them, it's sort of, there is a lot of fear, there is a lot of sort of negative thoughts. They want to have it in a controlled environment. Yeah, so the one thing is that for me, Timothy Leary, who had some sort of, who contributed definitely to the research, yeah, but I think the mistake they made was painting and positioning psychedelics as what they called it counterculture, while what we want to make them, we want to bring them back into the heart of society and want to make them a very normal medical yeah. treatment for everybody who needs it. That's the one thing. The second thing is, and that's even more important because I had actually, yeah, um, don't want to go into details, but a friend calling me for a very negative example where 
a best friend of a friend went on an uh, ayahuasca trip and then in the in a month after it went terribly wrong yeah and he was asking me like how could that happen you telling me that ayahuasca or, or actually the active ingredient is DMT that this is so powerful and so positive but it's not just the trip yeah the trip is part of the healing process but equally important we believe is the post trip integration of what you learn on a trip so these plants are teacher plants, meaning you, you have always a learning. And the learning is, interestingly, this is sort of the spiritual part of it. It's right. literally tailored to what you need. So depending where your mental health issue comes from, the sort of learning you take away. Yeah. But, but it's interesting, Christian, I have, I, and Florian as well, I have friends who take uh, psychedelics uh, regularly uh, over their lives, and um, it hasn't done them good for that very reason. That the context and the construct that they've been in hasn't been uh, developmental. What I want to say is, you need somebody to help you integrate it. And again, this is why you need a psychotherapist. So now comes the sort of, and I, again, it's a little bit like because it's in the nuances. Like obviously, I do it myself, yeah, and I'm very open with that, yeah, but. I'm very aware that I'm not just the 1% like who has also the means and the money to go to a country where it's legal to have a great shaman. But I, as I always point out, I came from a very happy place. Yeah? And our priority are not the people who go to Burning Man, by the way, because they can go still to Burning Man and grow mushrooms themselves. And we're not gonna come to them and say, hey, knock, knock, yeah, uh, we have a patent, uh, give me your mushrooms. Yeah, But our 100% sole priority are the patients, so people who really need it. And trips for them, a healing trip for somebody who has a severe depression yeah, or a severe trauma is different, needs all the surrounding, needs the therapist, needs the integration. And that's why we adamant that it's medical use only. Yeah. Florian, I, I, I want to talk about the mind with you because I think this is where a lot of the problems are coming from in our society. And what I mean by that is um, when we say mental health, we immediately make the connection that it is an issue perhaps emanating from the mind, that it could be a construct of your cognition you know, science would tell us that depression is coming from your mind, that, uh, that you know, anxiety is coming from, mind, obviously from your nervous system and serotonin and changes in, 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 in your body. But what I want to ask you is this idea that we've been taught for the longest time, especially in the West, do not fuck with the mind. Like everything that, that is, is your, I, I, the id, what Freud called your identity, your ego, the essence of your identity is inside your mind. So everything that we've been taught has been not to alter it, not to tweak it for fear of perhaps changing or for fear of having negative repercussions. So how do you view the work that you do um, with a tie moving towards a transformative future with a whole back catalogue of work that, you know, society has told us not to, um, not to uh, augment the mind at all. Yeah. And uh, happy to allude to it. And I know Christian also eagerly wants to contribute to this topic. <laughs> it's, 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 all this stuff is my favorite toy. One in one sentence, then I let, I let the longer answer. It's like, we know each other so well. Yeah. So one sentence is we don't fuck with the mind. Yeah. Actually, every one of us fucks with his mind every single day. Yeah. The way how we treat it when we're not on psychedelics. Yeah. And psychedelics don't say 
mess up your mind, they actually bring you to real clarity. So it's, I know what people mean, yeah, but it's completely the wrong way to look at psychedelics. Psychedelics order your mind and let you realize your true self and actually bring you clarity in a true meaning, yeah. And yeah. everything else we do every day, yeah, is actually at least a lot of people sort of lie to themselves or build up something, uh, an, an idea about themselves, which is not true to themselves, if you know what I mean. So, so yeah. psychedelics are the real truth, not the mindfuck. Florian, how do you see yeah. it? Yeah, no, I think it goes back to what Christian alluded to in the very beginning. I think also you, I think we were living in a, in a very, like, uh, in, in a world that is deeply unhealthy for our mind, also for our bodies, by the way, if you look at kind of <laughs> uh, like how how um, much weight we like societies gain over over t over time, but like especially for the mind due to kind of what we basically discussed, right? Um, um, and I see it on a very abstract level: psychedelics as a technology, like mindfulness meditation, like meditation is also a technology that allows you, um, together with a therapist, to um, access certain certain areas of the mind of the subconscious however you want to call it um that are um often also um or basically for many many mental health disorders trauma is often the root cause let's say let's take addiction there's a hypothesis that trauma is the root cause and a lot of therapists and patients uh, without tools like psychedelics don't find a way to access this trauma and i think um like, like Christian said, psychedelics are a very, very powerful tool and deployed in the right set and setting can help a lot of patients to, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if I would use the word order the brain, but like really um, kind of access that trauma in a, in a gentle way together with a therapist and then integrate those experiences as we discussed earlier. Um, so I, 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 I concur with what Christian said and I don't think there, we not, must be afraid that we uh, somehow... Um, like like the propagandist uh, machines in the 70s or 60s will will poison our brains by um, taking um, those those substances that have such a rich history that points to the safety of those compounds that we now kind of have to replicate and also the efficacy yeah. of those compounds. So we, so we so, so Florian, where are you at with Attire? I, I know I've, I've I've overheard that you you have ten compounds in a kind of research development kind of phase. Um, yep. Christian mentioned that, you know, this is to be taken in conjunction with, you know, a psychotherapist or what we would call uh, uh, today's shaman. So so where are we at? When can we, how can we expect these compounds to come to light to find its first customers? Where are you on that roadmap with Atai? Yeah, I think it's important to mention that we are actually having a very broad approach to mental health. So we see, uh, like we're, we're exploring a lot of, technologies, psychedelics being one, but we we're also exploring a lot of non-psychedelic technologies, meaning compounds and therapies, including digital therapeutics. So we are, in our perspective, take a very holistic, um, agnostic approach to developing more effective mental health treatments. Um, and ultimately, I truly believe that psychedelics um, are, are unique in a way because they can have that very, very durable effect, if not um, kind of very, very long-term remission that um, you don't see with currently existing treatments. And I think that's that's very exciting. And that's why we're we're uh, um, investing so much resources 
uh, in actually demonstrating this in the FDA, uh, in, in the clinical trials to ultimately get FDA approval. And also, very importantly, to generate the data to get it reimbursed for people. That comes back to the topic that we alluded to earlier. Currently, it's a kind of a very elitist kind of topic, uh, like the Burning Man kind of, uh, kind of people that have access to psychedelic and then they're kind of underground therapists that cost a lot of money. And our goal is really to make it accessible for the most vulnerable uh, groups in the society that often don't have in, 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 in well often don't have insurance. But if they have insurance, they don't have access to those treatments because they can't afford multiple thousands of, of dollars to to um, uh, yeah get fly to a country where it's legal and then do those therapies there. So I think that that's important to mention where we are. Um, we're we're uh, at different stages depending on the compounds. So from preclinical to phase two, phase two means we're doing yeah research in patients. Um, and unfortunately, uh, we we're still a couple of years out until we expect to see those drugs approved, and that's basically inherent in the drug development process. And there's a lot of reason for that because we have to generate the data that points to the safety and the efficacy of those compounds, yeah. so that we kind of yeah responsibly can actually make those accessible. But unfortunately, it will take a couple of years until we we'll see that we see them. Um, in in the market in the medical system, how, how do you view psychedelics within a conservative paradigm like life sciences? And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I would go as far to say that there's um, an inherent kind of uh, lack of um, uh, education and ignorance on behalf of the Western civilization. Where Christian, you you rightly pointed out that psychedelics have been used in appropriate settings for thousands of years. But, you know, we've taken it under our own umbrella and we've said that it's right to use under certain circumstances. So essentially what I'm saying is we've abandoned thousands of years of Indigenous knowledge and they were always there to kind of give us that warm hand. Um, and now right. we're saying, well, we can only do this under the framework of a very conservative uh, body of knowledge. Christian and Florian, how do we you know, attempt to reconcile those two. Yeah, um, happy happy to start um, and, and give you my thoughts on this. And I guess there are multiple layers and, and thoughts that I have. So primarily, I really see it in a very abstract way as a, a technology that we need to, to develop. And I'm not, I, I or we, and I hope I speak also for Christian, but we didn't start a tie to, uh, I guess, change, change the entire uh, economic or political system that we're living in that that is often convoluted in that discussion. Although Christian especially. would probably like to. <laughs> well, like in the in this psychedelic community debate, it's it's often I, in my perception, very very politically motivated. Um, and what my goal is personally is to figure out the the path of least resistance to get those uh, very if, like based on all the literature that we have, potentially very effective treatments out to patients and do it in the most rigorous, scientific, um, rigorous way that uh, also increases the likelihood of success that patients benefit from these as soon as possible, meaning that we don't um, do the Timothy Leary way uh, where we kind of risk, kind of we have this headline risk that uh, because we say, yeah, decriminalize, legalize, take all psychedelics, everything will be fine. Our focus is really patients and patients only right now and to figure out the way what's within the system that we are working in, what's the best way forward here. And then to the point of um, reciprocity, and that's something that we are very much aware of and where we also, uh, um, why we actually started the Atai Foundation, because we are very much aware 
of the legacy of multiple stakeholders in, in this field. So more recently, it's nonprofit organizations like MAPS, but to your point, the shamans uh, of different um, people uh, around the globe have applied these mm. um, these therapies over centuries, if not thousands of years. Um, and we're and, and there's an understanding and a necessity that we enter into, uh, like we, that we are aware that these are stakeholders um, of what we're trying to do. And we want to find out ways to how to best integrate it. And I, I, I must also honestly know, I don't know what's the best way yet, but we're, we're committed to learn uh, and committed to explore what the best ways of how to integrate kind of the experience and how to also, yeah, emphasize this reciprocity element that we truly see. And um, I don't oh, Christian, if you... Perfectly, you perfectly put. Absolutely. We'll be right back. A word from our sponsors at Sadi Farm. With a focus on health and well-being in today's episode, I've been trying some new products from premium health and wellness company Sadi Farm. Sadi Farm's unique CBD capsules are clinically proven to be three and a half times more effective than bottled oils. They are also tasteless and ensure a consistent dose each time. Their new advanced ranges combine CBD with targeted vitamins. Focus helps reduce tiredness and fatigue and supports mental performance. Active can be taken to support muscle function and the immune system. And as a special gift for 52 Insights listeners, Sadi Farm is giving you 50% off these products via their website, sadifarm.com. That's S-A-T-I. P-H-A-R-M. Just use the code 52insights50 at the checkout. You can also find Sadi Farms products online and in-store at Lloyd's Pharmacies and leading pharmacies nationwide. And now let's return to our interview with Christian and Florian. Christian, you said that taking magic mushrooms was the single most meaningful thing that you've ever done in your entire life. Nothing else comes close. Um, and then you had this kind of light bulb moment where you could clearly see how they could help people in need. Um, just take us back to that time, essentially. It was because you said that you'd never drunk alcohol, you'd never done any type of drugs, didn't even drink coffee until a late age. So at that specific moment, what, what did that light bulb look like? I'm, pr- I'm sure pretty colourful, but... <laughs> Honestly, like um, talking about psychedelic experiences is um, is not easy in a way because it's such an outerworldly. And I had a very strong first trip. It's such an outerworldly experience that human language is not really fitting. So you always have to. So you have to talk in in um, in pictures. You have to use actually religious terms, uh, which then immediately, if I use the word God, like might for whatever face the the listener is might create another association that I want to say. So, um, so this why ultimately I would say maybe one way to, to describe it, which why, which also I think is so powerful is that sort of you have that, and that's also partly a medical explanation. You have that sort of ego death. Yeah. Mushrooms, not a complete one, but like it's, it's a strong trip. It can be pretty significant. 
And in the same moment where our ego, so the part which defines I'm Christian, you are Ari, this is Florian, uh, and we are different people and we have our own history, whatever. In the moment which practically the part of my brain which, which defines who is Christian and how does Christian feel and how does Christian think, whatever, yeah, uh, goes down, something else is emerging. You could call it your inner self, your inner voice, your soul. Yeah. Um, but And that's, from my point of view, the true sort of you. And as I said before, like, especially in our Western world, often sort of we either have forgotten what our true self really is. That means our real wishes, our real what we want to be, um, meaning everything, which is really like what, how we, meaning a lot of people don't even know, I think, what they want in life. Yeah? And often when they want it, they don't dare to act on it anyway. So but you see all of that. Yeah. And so it's sort of this moment of, of uh, self-realization is already very powerful because that's what a lot of people describe brings them to these adjustment mechanism that you come out of the trip and like, okay, I know now what I want. I know now how to sort of structure my life, what to do, what not to do, what to change. Yeah. In my case, actually, that was sort of the, also very interesting because I was, aside of that, I had never done any other drug. Yeah, and not, as I said, not even alcohol, which I think is the worst one, by the way. Yeah, and I still haven't drunk alcohol because it's just bad. Yeah, if you look at scientific and alcohol. We, 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 we should probably just note as well that I spent time with David Nutt and he's, he, he, we mentioned he's an incredible superstar researcher, one of the initial pioneers, and he was actually working on a synthetic I, compound yeah. of alcohol that would have probably changed the whole alcoholic landscape, but it never came to fruition. Yeah. No, but he actually was indirectly my inspiration because the German neuroscientist who first ever had told me about psychedelics actually was quoting and showing me, people can go online and Google David Nutt chart and then you see one of David's sort of things which made David not famous is that he looked at every single drug recreationally, uh, recreational drug, legal and illegal drug, and was was ranking those drugs according to their harm potential. Yeah, And so spilling the beans now, but like alcohol actually has a bigger harm potential than than heroin. Heroin is number two. Like heroin is also very bad. It doesn't advocate for heroin, but like it shows you how bad alcohol really is. Anyway. Which also got him um, into so, deep trouble, by the way. So, but, Actually, showing the, showing yeah, the but others. It was unfair yeah. because people were like, oh, yeah, oh, oh he's, he's, uh, he's advocating for heroin, which is totally bullshit. Like this is a, was a very unfortunate. It's practically the thing is like heroin is bad and alcohol is worse. Yeah. So, uh, and everything else, what you think is bad is bad, by the way. So don't touch any of them. Anyway, so what I want to say is like, Sort of on the one side, I, I was this teetotal guy, uh, but the other really worry I had, and that's actually, I never spoken about that on a podcast, but like, because, and this is by the way, a lot of friends tell me, they are like, oh, if I take uh, psychedelics, do I come out and gonna throw away my life and gonna go to Brazil and become a farmer? Yeah. Uh, so you hear that stories where people come out of a trip and completely change their life. Yeah. So I was really worried because, by the way, we all are very comfortable in the place we are and we don't like change. And So in my case, though, which sort of told me, okay, I did something right so far in terms of my mental health. Actually, my first and also my following psychedelic trips were all extremely confirming because I was always trying to really just do what I want to do in life. Yeah. So I'm actually an advocate for a healthy egoism because just when make yourself happy and then you can make other people happy. Yeah. But like, if you're not true to yourself, how can you make 
other people happy or be sort of a good friend or partner or whatever to other people if you're lying to yourself. So mm. I was always very honest about sort of to myself what I want and I structured my life according to that, both my private life and my business life. And that was sort of confirmed on the trip. So, yeah. So, so Christian, why do you, and this might sound like a contentious question, but why do you pursue other um, avenues such as trying to live forever or the, the, the longevity game or, or te, you know, the, the finance game, meaning like Bitcoin. These are all very much associated with, um, you know, enlarging the, uh, the ego in a sense. Do you find that there's kind of a tension in pursuing one, the exponential technology inside and also the exponential technologies outside of your body? Sort of because I don't, I think it's a, um... It's sort of a weird idea you're pointing to because I never understand how people can think that like living longer. I don't think by the way we're going to live forever. That's a catchy headline. I think we're going to live for very long, hundreds of years. So what I do believe, so, and this is for me the most normal thought because I fucking enjoy this life and I have so many ideas. But that's attachment and that's what we're trying to avoid here. I don't think you don't, uh, by the way, that's wrong because you're mixing up now Buddhism with psychedelics, yeah? Okay, uh, so, all right, um, fair enough. So, um, because I don't think attachment is bad as long as it's a healthy attachment. If you're in love with somebody, this is not bad. It's a As long as you have a healthy relationship, that's a very beautiful thing. So attachment per se is not bad. I think there is an obsessive attachment to anything that's bad, but a healthy attachment. And I'm, my attachment to life is that I think, first of all, it's really awesome. Yeah. And I enjoy it every single day. And I have a lot of ideas and I have a lot of things I want to see where the world plays out. And by the way, if you really believe in the spiritual side, which I do like, my view is that we're eternal souls, which is an literally eternal and talk about the mathematician about eternity. Like this is an endless, inf infinite amount of lives we're going to live. It doesn't even matter. Meaning you could say it doesn't matter if we die with 50, but it also doesn't matter if we die with 500 because it's like a blink. Yeah. And then we as well. So it's not any counter thing to any religion. That you know, What I do believe is that it's part of the human experience. Yeah to have a finite life, that I do believe. So I think our mind is wired on a finite experience. But by the way, 100 years ago, whatever, or some 100 years ago, people, what was the average age in the medieval age is 40, yeah? And we didn't change, we, we're still human, but now it doubled. Why can't it double again? It, it's just gonna restructure society, but it's gonna be still a blink. Yeah, uh, in, in I would I would probably push back. I'm, I'm interested to know what you think, both of you, on this as well, because again, this is a dialogue which I love to have with friends and people like you. So, kind of you know developed and 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 are clued in in this area. But there's a tension here, and that tension is is that the structures and the systems that we have in place have allowed us these uh, momentous opportunities to live longer for better health but has also created a very dark narrative like money, like politics, like these enormous fabrications where we create these threads, these narratives. And I believe it's this tension between the dualism of the systems and structures and narratives, which are frankly what I would think are insane if we really take a, a closer look with it with a magnifying glass and 
um, removing the ego, which is when you take the psychedelic, it removes a lot of those architectures that that you've had over you for so long. And um, I think that that tension is so um, so dangerous, but also so fascinating. I'm wondering what what you both think of that. I still don't get the way, tension. By yeah, the way, like so just again. To- Longevity is the true, wanting people to live longer is a true libertarian, humanitarian thought. My view is that the ultimate liberation of humanity is to pick your own time of death. And by the way, some people might say, I want to die at 80. So be it. Go ahead. Kill yourself. By the way, I'm very open for, I think everybody should be able and allowed to decide when it's over, yeah? So, but, and maybe others are saying, hey, I want to live like till 300 years. I do very much believe that for everybody, because again, it's our human mind, there will be a point where we say enough. Even I will say somewhere enough is enough, but I I want to pick that myself, yeah? And I think in my case, it's going to be in some hundred years. Second, yeah. so because you also mentioned crypto or two things, the, 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 um, uh, it, it, I think uh, crypto, for example, is very inclusive because it's going to allow us to... So what is one very archaic principle is how we structure companies. Um, so the sort of the setup of a company, yeah, the legal setup, the structure has been actually invented hundreds of years ago and we didn't change it. So, so what is indeed a problem in the modern world is that we have these sort of... Um, uh, wealth gap is just one example of people who contribute to, let's call it an endeavor, are not fairly remunerated for it. Yeah. So, and I think crypto, again, but it will be maybe a separate podcast, is able to help us redefine how we structure joint endeavors with fellow people and how to better remunerate every single person with smart contracts who contribute to that respective endeavor. So crypto is actually sort of an improvement of sort of an overcome, I don't think capitalism itself um, is outdated, but I think the structures on which capitalism is based are outdated. And crypto will bring capitalism to the next sort of modern level. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I think you're absolutely right, Kusha. I don't agree with absolutely everything you're saying, Florin. I'd love to know where, where yeah, you're no, coming from with this. I area. think uh, just two thoughts that I have, or actually one question for you and one thought. So, um, in my experience, actually psychedelics can also amplify ego. So I've seen many people where actually the character traits were kind of much more like, yeah, ex- in an extreme way visible um, because they didn't maybe apply it in the right way or right setting, but I, I see a potential here also for a kind of ego uh, after the, the trip, like ego, like manifestation even more than, than you had before. I don't know if you came across people like this, but I, I certainly have. Absolutely. I was saying that early on that I have friends who are more pronounced and it hasn't helped them right. developmentally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as well. And then I guess for me, the question, like what, why do you think that the current systems that we live in, uh, basically catalyze this egoistic behavior and I, I guess when if you say systems what systems are you are you referring to is that the political system economical system capitalism well well two things broadly speaking most of the systems that we are connected to 
are just fabrications. They're not real. We know that, but we live by them every single day. So if you were to ask your local psychotherapist that wasn't from Earth, you know, what do you think of this idea? What do you think of this idea, religion, politics, money? They'd say that you're insane. But we know that they're fabrications. Um, we live by so many other ideas about who we are, and we profess that every day. So, you know, part of that is an illusion. And I know, Christian, you said you don't believe the Buddhist part, but that's kind of where I come from at a little bit. And, again, Buddhist isn't a religion to me. It's just thought school. A, an idea which I kind of follow, which, which gives me some kind of clarification. But essentially for me it's, it's an illusion. And so what, what we're trying to do our whole lives is get back to the basis of who we are. And what I hate about the system that we live in is it does everything it can to take us away from that. So that's why I'm so excited about the space that you're in because it will give people a shortcut or a hack. And I feel like, in, a, in you know, in the next few decades, it's going to be a make or break for us. And I feel like our psyches or our whatever you want to call it is calling for a solution. And that might be um, psychedelics in, in a way. Well, I don't disagree. I think for many problems we're facing um, worldwide, psychedelics can be a solution. So, so my view is that in a first step, uh, we should, as I said before, we sh should focus on curing and, and, uh, and softening um, sort of existing mental health issues, depression, anxiety, whatsoever. But like, I think over time we can increase the, um, the, the spectrum of the use cases for psychedelics. So I actually, my simplified, always catchy headline is, I really believe that ultimately with several iterations we're gonna go through, yeah, psychedelics gonna have a total addressable market of 100% of, of the world population. Um, but I don't see it as negatively as you do in generally on where sort of, yeah, on, on the on, on sort of the spiritual side or state of the world. If you also look back, I guess, where we come from in the very early days, I think there were, and I'm, I'm not an expert by any, any mean, and probably spend too little time thinking about this, quite frankly, <laughs> too busy building companies. Uh, maybe that's also a distraction from, from the, the truth. But if you think back in a very, again, abstract first principles level, there were always systems in a way, even like, all the way back when we started kind of to emerge as a human species and before it was kind of on a biological level. So they were like systems in a way, I think life organized itself in a way. And that's basically, and, and we maybe have the, the intellectual cap capacity to describe it or to, to give words to those, um, those, those, what we basically see. Um, so I think, I hope that, um, a more mindful, aware human species can uh, will be able to uh, yeah, continuously iterate forward systems that ultimately are more human. Um, and I do believe that psychedelics do have a part in this, due to the reasons what we what we discussed, due, due to the fact that it's very similar if you look at brains to mindfulness meditation. And I think that's basically part of becoming a better human being, which could then lead to better human systems, uh, hence, uh, I guess, improving how we live together as a species. So that's what I, I, I believe. It's not really kind of, but I'm always careful to say psychedelics are a panacea that's, that's going to 
going to solve the world because I truly believe that they're not. They have to be kind of contextualized. Let's just kind of fast forward. Like we get in our time machine. It's 10, 20 years from now or, or whatnot. You've had a couple of um, compounds that have passed approval and um, they're on the market and someone enters a, um, uh, has, has some kind of crisis and they're in need of that psychedelic compound, whether it's Ibogaine, whether it's ketamine, whether it's an LSD compound or, or, or a psilocybin compound, and they're administered it by the therapist. So in essence, maybe Christian or Florian, you can give us an overview of how you would see it being administered in a clinical setting and, and what you would kind of see as the, the kind of journey afterwards for, for the patient. Yeah, happy, happy to um, share my thoughts here. And again, that's uh, also here we're um, continuously um, developing those protocols as, as we speak, basically. But like in a, in a very against high level version, I think, you know, and we, we talked about setting and setting and the need for preparation, actually the trip itself that needs to be happen uh, that needs to be conducted in a, in a therapeutic setting, inpatient um, setting, and then the importance of integration. Um, and we, we believe that this journey, um, that during this journey, digital therapeutics will play a key role. So I think one of the what is what does digital therapeutics mean? What does that mean? So you can basically think about it as an as an app, like in a very simplified way. We are still exploring hardware solutions, but um, for for this example, um, what we see, or let's let's say we we're combining the compound with an app. So that is that is basically what we're we're developing. We're currently um, developing those app drug combinations, um, and the reason for it is that. What we see as the one of the greatest hurdles is scalability of those those therapies because you need so to train so many therapists to actually deploy those therapies globally at scale. Mm. So what we are current, what we are very interested in finding ways how basically to optimize the time of a therapist and and I truly believe that uh, a human therapist is absolutely needed. But like how can we optimize his time where the, his time is basically best deployed in that process? And, and I believe that digital tools, software, and hardware can be be helpful in that process. So, um, and then uh, basically, uh, depending on the compound that have different um, different uh, durations of actions. So some are two hours, some are six hours. LSD is even longer. That's also the reason why we're not developing it. Um, they will they they will require the patients to um, come to a to a to a hospital like uh, setup or or to the doctor's office and then undergo that treatment after the preparation phase um, uh, in, in an inpatient setting and then uh, we believe that uh, afterwards it's key that they integrate those experiences in an in-person way but also helped or supported by digital elements that we are developing. And, and we talk about the side effects, which is not the side effects, sorry. We talk about, you know, the incredible um, experiences that patients have or reporters who have. And remember, I guess, you know, that it's only been a small sample in terms of the larger global population that have taken psychedelics or been administered in a clinical setting. But some of those experiences, like Christian, you pointed out, are yeah. interconnectedness, um, ineffability, um, and the idea that we are all one. I mean, obviously, what's in it for pharma companies here? I can't see them printing those types of experiences, side effects on on the on the side of um, of drug boxes. 
how do you see the journey in terms of those kind of experiences, if it changes them from the inside out and what that could potentially do to society, Christian? I, I don't think, and Florin is, is more because we already, I mean, we have actually pharma partners already. So we have uh, Otsuka. Otsuka is a, is a Japanese pharma giant of, uh, of Compass, an investor. We partner with Otsuka on a new version of Ketamine. So I don't see that as meaning, yeah, meaning the doctor will have to um, tell the patient what's going to happen. Yeah, And by the way, yes, there are some, that's why I always put it like, this is why we develop such a broad universe of mental health drugs. And while we love to be seen as the psychedelics company, yeah, and we by far, sort of the biggest psychedelic company out there actually it ties more than that. It's a real mental health company because we, additionally to the psychedelic compounds we have in development, we also have non-psychedelic compounds and it will come. And this is why I'm so adamant to always point it out again and again, the main person is the psychiatrist or doctor. He knows the, the patient. Actually, mental health issues have many, many root uh, causes. Yeah. So the psychiatrist will know which sort of way to go. Is it a, is it a psilocybin trip? Is it ibogaine, for example, because the patient is heavily addicted to something? Or is it maybe a non-psychedelic drug? Yeah. Is it maybe arketamine, which doesn't give you the deep insights and is a kind of quick fix? Like, this is, it really depends on the patient and on the assessment the therapist will have. And then we trust the therapist to pick sort of the right um, tool out of the toolbox we provide. And Atai's mission is to provide uh, a toolbox as big as possible. And I'm actually deeply convinced that in five years, we're going to be um, one of, if not the biggest sort of mental health biotech or then pharma when we already like approved yeah. company in the world. What Christian, what Christian has said is like very key to, to the field that we were working in. So like mental health disorders are so heterogeneous. So it's really um, so fragmented um, that it, there won't be kind of this one, one uh, fits all solution. So again, this is coming back to this panacea. So, so even psilocybin uh, that has had such a profound experience of many people that I love in, in a healing positive way, uh, I believe will not have the 100% response rate that you would hope for. Um, so for f finding out the way which treatment is the right for which patient at the at which time in the, or at, at the stage of his mental health journey um, is, is is something that, that is key for us. And also, again, here, identifying the right biomarkers, digital and traditional biomarkers, to be very much in the position to ultimately develop the, the right, yeah, the right, drug patient or to come to the conclusion which compound is for the right patients here is what we're working um, on and where to, to where as christian said ultimately it's the psychiatrist or the doctor that, that will decide but where we try to um yeah come closer in, in a kind of precision psychiatry way to uh, enable um those professionals to make better decisions do you think that we've just defined mental health correctly do you think we have enough of an understanding of what actually mental health is to be I think able we're to very yeah i think we're very early and um there are many many illnesses that have not been yet described and i think the uk has has made uh, a little bit of progress into the right direction so when you look at loneliness for instance um 
that uh, has been recognized as an as a disease, loneliness in the elderly, um, which is kind of a which alludes to the I would say the dynamic dynamics uh, and also um, sometimes maybe how arbitrary maybe we have ident identified those those illnesses. And if you have been uh, I guess a mental health patient yourself, there are a lot of overlaps uh, in terms of uh, symptom, symptom, um, symptoms when you look at anxiety, depression. So it's not like as clear cut very, very often. So I think it's, um, yeah, we, we are very much in the beginning of understanding the brain. And I could imagine that down the road, there will be further indications identified or we, we would maybe yeah. we approach it also in a very, very different way. And, and Florian, what's been your journey with, with psychedelics? I don't know if you're allowed to uh, divulge that, but since being the, uh, the co-founder of Atai, uh, but are you allowed to, uh, to enunciate any, any experiences you've had? Um, yeah, because actually I, uh, similar to Christian, um, had it in a, in a country where it's uh, not illegal. So, um, and actually Lars was also very much instrumental in, I guess, my journey to psychedelics and um, actually why I took it. And I was very skeptical uh, in, in the very beginning, um, similar to, to what Christian said. I actually was quite in a, in, a, in a place where I said, like, let's not mess with that uh, mind. And I was, I guess, also influenced to a certain degree uh, by the propaganda that basically said LSD, et cetera, and, and, and psilocybin will, will mess or will, as you put it, fuck, fuck, you, fuck your mind, I think you said, or fuck with your mind. Um, so uh, for me, it was actually um, my wife's suffering. So we basically, uh, she lost her mother to cancer, which kind of sent her down a very dark, dark path. And she really suffered from the, the grief and didn't find any 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 support in, in the available options. And then actually for her, it was also a psilocybin trip. And I decided to take together with her um, in a way also to kind of encourage it in a way. So, um, um, but admittingly also, I wasn't really after we lost her mother to tap into those emotions. I wasn't also to uh, express grief, uh, sadness. I was feeling very numbed. Um, so even though I basically did it to, to kind of um, help her to do it, it was also a very, very healing experience for me. And it was a high dose psilocybin experience um, that was, I would say, very healing for the both of us and brought me a lot of insights and um, was a very, very healing, profound moment. That sounds incredible. Did you, did any feelings of anxiety resurface from your yesteryears? Um, uh, it, it indeed, and that's also why I'm so struggling with this whole debate about legalization, decrim decriminalization, um, because I had uh, a very, very dark period uh, on 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 um, on psilocybin, which in the if you have a kind of a, a guide, a therapist, however you want to call it, and this also a social social network or or, or support network. Where you can then integrate. So if you have access to integration and reflection, um, it is a very helpful experience to go through this. But I, I really kind of tapped into those emotions also around suicidality, extremely anxiety, like anxious feelings. So basically, what I experienced in my youth, maybe times ten in terms of intensity, I re-experienced that in in that that um, high dose experience. And that's uh, where I see a lot of potential for psychedelic trauma for people that actually suffer from mental health 
disorders and then just go in it because someone says, yes, take psychedelics and it will be fine. So um, here uh, I had definitely very, very challenging experience. Yeah, I mean, I kind of echo that. I mean, as I said, I haven't taken psychedelics. Um, and, and I think there are various reasons which, which I haven't, but I, I, you know, I continue to watch the space very closely and to listen very acutely to the experts such as yourselves and, and to read and, and, and to understand, um, you know, what, what, what it can do and how it can empower people. Um, and I think even though like, I don't want to, I guess, uh, maybe just take one thought, I think. Yeah. Nevertheless, the, the experience itself, even though it was very challenging, so I don't want to discourage you <laughs> to to try it as we kind of share this, a similar journey, it, it, it seems. Um, uh, again, it's uh, for me, it was like one of the most profound experiences, similar to Christian, also to contextualize us, to tap into this, and then to integrate and to, to journal and to derive meaning from that was, was extremely powerful kind of going forward. Um, yeah. So it's always sounds very scary when you describe those moments, but in the moment, it weirdly it, it weirdly felt okay, even though it was so intense. Um, but then, like to integrate, it, it, it truly I think where where the meaning and, and help yeah. like help unfolds. I, I guess what I'm trying to get at with both of you is this idea that psychedelics is supposed to expose something, and if it deconstructs, because uh, you've both hinted at, at the deconstruction phase. Um, or, or, you know, then what happens, because Christian, you said this is a go-to market strategy for 100% of the global population. So if enough people take psychedelics in tiny doses, obviously, under a clinical setting with a shaman slash therapist, and it manages to deconstruct something, a change is going to happen somewhere. Wouldn't you agree, Christian? Being, you can, I can make it cheesy and say, yes, what I do believe is that it makes you a better and nicer human being, and the world is better off if we're all nicer to each other. So that, yes, so we can, yeah. on that level, yeah, uh, we can, um, we can, uh, I, definitely it's going to make the world better. But I do think it makes people more innovative, so it will actually curb the innovation cycle even further. So I think it makes people more open for change. But I don't think it's one thing which is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I know that, for example, somebody, which is also like true, but like it's it's just a nuance. Like uh, I think there were a lot of headlines where people said, "Oh, it's going to make you more receptive for climate change." Uh, I think it's partly it's a little bit like forcefully combining certain things which are not there. It's a little bit headline catching. On the other side, it does make you more more positive for um, for again, it, it makes you more human and more feel connected to other humans and to nature yeah um i i would say it has them like because i mean maybe just to to um to quote michael pollan i think who said uh like that it's basically ten thousand hours of psychotherapy in in like condensed to six hours right or in, in a pill in a way and would i say everyone should do psychotherapy yes like right because i think Ten thousand hours. Well, over the span of a lifetime, <laughs> sure. But I wouldn't recommend to do psilocybin every day. So, but I, I think um, ultimately to to self reflect, to kind of have a mirror, to um, go through a, a constant process of self development, I think that's absolutely key. Um, can psychedelics, given the that it's a tool in the right context, deployed for for psychotherapy? 
Um, I think will it change people to the better? Hopefully, if it's applied by a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist, um, yes. So I, I hope that that makes sense in, in a way. Just finally, for both of you, um, where can people follow what you do, Florian? Um, you work uh, every day on a tie, if I have that correct. Every day and people night. Want to yes. Know, uh, on, you know. Yeah. Do you, do you, yeah, literally as kind of our team spends across time zones. Uh, um, and um, we, I mean, you can follow us on, on, on the usual social media channels, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. And Christian is definitely more active than I am right now on Twitter. <laughs> but maybe one day I can can catch up. But I guess what I, what people would really want to know is an actionable plan, which is, you know, where, how can people real or, or, or find out when drugs are, have come, you know, to market? So, so, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, we, we, we go to our website, which is atai.life. Um, there is a newsletter. So we're super happy if people want to stay in touch with us. So we're going to obviously actively communicate every success we have, uh, uh, both via official news channels, but also via the newsletter. Yeah, Follow Atai on Twitter. Yeah, um, follow me on Twitter. Um, um, I think these are the three things to do. And follow me on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> so, but like, uh, follow us. Yeah. Follow Atai and especially put yourself into the newsletter. Wonderful. And yeah. by the way, I do think positively that, especially for the first um, uh, approvals, which in our portfolio will be sort of Cybin, Ibogaine is very pretty advanced, our ketamine. I think it's going to make worldwide headlines because it's going to change the way how we treat and see and look at mental health issues. So, yes, yeah, so be in the newsletter, but I deeply hope and expect that you're going to see it by a sort of global headlines as well, because it will be an extremely important step. I've said that before for mental health issues. Yeah. And then hopefully. And I agree. And, I, and I don't think it can come any minute. Uh, you know, sooner. And, and I also think people should follow Christian because, you know, he, he has super interesting things to say. He's always on the on the money in terms of trends and, and what's going on. And uh, yeah, this is all around super interesting guy. And Florian as well, you know, the company that you're helping build is hopefully going to change the world. So again, thank you to both of you for taking the time to talk to me. It's been, you know, wonderfully insightful and super interesting. Great to get your thoughts, both of you. Thank you, Ari. So thank you for your interest. And take psychedelics. In a legal setting, go to a country where it's legal, but you have to do it. You've been listening to the 52 Insights podcast. I'm Ari Stein. Thanks to Portico Quartet for their track Endless, and thanks to Joel Stein of Glass Maps for producing this podcast. Sign up to the 52 Insights newsletter and subscribe to my podcast channel to get access to my latest interviews with extraordinary people.